Right, as Ursula just uh, announced, the reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, I'm reading from verses 1 to 16, and it can be found on page 1152 of the Church Bibles. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Subheading, uncovering the head in worship. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonours her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for women, but woman for man. It is for that reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, the Lord woman is not independent of man, nor is a man independent of women. For as women came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants this to be be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for Ivan as he, as he brings us his, I, I bet a lot of you are thinking, I'm glad he's up here and not me. That's not what I'm thinking. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we pray for Ivan as he brings us your word this morning as he expands that passage, that difficult passage that we've just heard read. Lord, give him the confidence to speak your words to us. And Father, may we hear and receive what you would have us um, hear from you. Amen. There you go, Ivan. (laughs) I'm tired of getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. That, that was the way I felt when I discovered that this was the passage I was given to preach on. 
And I thought, why me? <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? <laughs> By the way, does anybody know where that quote comes from? And Peter, don't give the game away, please. <laughs> Somebody must know. Um, I'm tired of getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. Never heard it? Hmm, okay. Could we have a clue, please? It was Marilyn Monroe. Okay. <laughs> right, you've had your fun now. <laughs> um, it was Marilyn Monroe in the film Some Like It Hot. Isn't it funny, though? I'm given a sermon to preach, and the first thing I think about is Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> but our mind works in different ways, doesn't it? Anyway, let's get back to the subject. Um, as you will realize from previous talks about the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, um, he was writing to the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And as you'll remember, Corinth was a major cosmopolitan city, a port and a trading center. And in his letter, Paul identifies problems in that church, offers solutions, and he teaches believers how to live for Christ in a corrupt society. Now, you may feel that this whole letter is a bit bitty, which it is. But remember, it's not meant to be a work of art, so that you read it and think, oh, that was nice, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. It's not enjoyable. In fact, if you listen to the sermons we've heard in recent weeks, you can see that the letter certainly isn't nice. It's not meant to be nice. Paul was convinced that he had to speak out and encourage the Christians in Corinth to encourage them not to adopt the immoral lifestyle of the society they were living in. So it's the contents that count. And he goes into quite a bit of detail, doesn't he, about women covering their head when worshipping in public. He sees the covering as a sign of their place in the overall order of things within the church. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. And he points out that in the divine order of things, woman came from man and woman was created for man. However, he then displays the delightful irony in verse 11. The irony of the fact that in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. The man and the woman are supposed to complement each other. They're interdependent. The one is not more important than the other. Now, you may say that sounds fairly obvious to us in this 21st century, but I reckon that sounded quite revolutionary in Paul's day. He's laying claim to an equality between the man and the woman, a major break 
with the norms of that society, whether women were possibly not valued as much as the men. And when Paul talks of being the head, I get the impression that the words don't have the same connotations as they do in our day and age. We tend to think, for example, of the head of a company, don't we? The big boss, the big white chief, the one who calls the shots, who hires and fires, the most valued member of the company, because that's the one who dictates policy and who has the highest salary. Paul sees a sort of hierarchy, but within it there is equality, as both the woman and the man have the same value. If, if I may be permitted to make a personal reflection here, my view on the whole issue of authority has evolved over the past few years. At the time when the Anglican Church voted to ordain women back in uh, 1994, I was opposed to the idea. But after much prayer and consideration, I've come to a more nuanced position, as it seems clear from Scripture that there were female leaders in the early church. In addition, I've come across a good number of godly women who have become ordained, and they're a real asset to the church. So I'm a work in progress. I'm still working through this issue. I'll be interested to hear your comments. What I would say, though, going back to the passage we read, is that God does require public worship to be orderly and respectful. As I read Paul's words, I remember that he was writing to a particular group of believers living in a different culture. So to what extent is this teaching cultural? That's an interesting question. I assume he's referring to times when believers met together. And I assume too that he was fully of the, aware of the fact that women with short hair were generally speaking temple prostitutes. And so he didn't want the Christian women in Corinth to give the wrong impression about their identity. He didn't want them to flout convention and communicate the wrong message. Interestingly, and I only discovered this about 10 days ago, when James Hudson Taylor went as a missionary to China in the 19th century, he found that the prostitutes covered their heads and the respectable women didn't, which was the opposite, opposite obviously, of what happened in Corinth. Consequently, he did the sensible thing and encouraged Christian women not to cover their heads. In other words, he adapted to the customs of the society in which he was living so that he communicated the right message. Please don't ask me to explain what Paul meant about women covering their head because of the angels. Because I've done a bit of research on that and I'm really not sure. And when he talks about it being a disgrace 
for a man to have long hair. Please don't ask me how long is long. <laughs> it makes me think back to my student days when I had really long hair. There again, I, I, I really don't know. Many of, you, many of you will remember the late Michael Tupper, who used to attend this church. And he once said it wasn't the bits of scripture that he didn't understand that bothered him. It was the bits he did understand. I wonder, though, in spite of all the things in the Bible which we don't fully understand, do we pay attention to the parts that we do understand? And do we allow scripture to have an influence on the way we live our lives? How much influence does it have? So where is all this leading? Well, we should do what pleases God and make sure we're communicating the right message. It's clear that we should behave appropriately, both in the way we dress and the way we behave, as we do make an impression on those with whom we come into contact, for better or for worse. Paul, <coughs> excuse me. Paul points out also that there is a difference between male and female, but they are both equal. Incidentally, I think it's rather sad that our present government is fudging the issue by considering giving children the opportunity to choose to be, <coughs> to, choose to be a boy or a girl, ignoring the biological differences which would surely dictate otherwise. But I mustn't digress. When I was a little boy, many, many moons ago, I used to curl up in front of the radio, and back in those days we used to call it the wireless. And I used to listen to children's favourites with Uncle Mac on a Saturday morning. <coughs> and the popular song, frequently requested by the children, was The Ugly Duckling, sung by Danny Kaye. Now you'll remember that the ugly duckling felt awkward and out of place until he was told to look at his physical features in the mirror and suddenly he realised he was a swan and he was delighted. Whee! If you're a swan, enjoy being a swan. I must admit I can't see any swans here this morning. But if you're a woman, enjoy being a woman. If you're a man, enjoy being a man. If you're a follower of Christ, enjoy it. Paul did, though he had all the trials and tribulations imaginable. You can read all about them in the Acts of the Apostles. Why not treat yourself to a pot of tea? and read through his roller coaster adventures this afternoon. It's stirring stuff. Let me show you my candle. Isn't it pretty? I must admit, you don't look all that impressed. <laughs> if I'm honest. Oh, it's gone out. <laughs> it, it didn't happen like that at rehearsal. 
You don't look impressed because the candle is hardly noticeable, because there is so much light around. But just imagine the effect it would have if we were in total darkness. Then it really would stand out. When I was a young boy, we used to sing, we used to sing this little chorus. Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light. Like a little candle burning in the night. In this world is darkness, so let us shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. Perhaps we should sing it together. No, 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 no. No. (laughs) But that's so simple, isn't it? But it's so profound. So what then should we be doing, or indeed not doing, to be a light for Christ in a world which has lost its way? Right at the beginning of our reading, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, And you can say Paul was arrogant. I don't think he was actually. But anyway, that's not for us to judge. Give him credit, though. He was trying to be a beacon of light in a corrupt society. I wonder, is the society in which we live less corrupt? I'll leave you to make your own judgments on that, but I have my doubts. But surely you'd like to feel you're setting a good example as Christ's representative. Or has the society in which we live had a corrupting effect on us too? If you put a frog into boiling water, it will jump out straight away. The frog is not stupid. But if the water is tepid and you raise the temperature slowly, the frog will get used to it and will be boiled to death be boiled alive I wonder are you like that frog are you getting used gradually gradually getting used to the practices and ways of behaving which you know are wrong you will realize that Jesus often asked a question to make a point and to challenge his hearers about a particular issue here's a list of questions and ideas in no particular order to start your thinking Now, some of these comments will be relevant to you. Some of them won't. But they might be relevant to somebody else. But that's all right. And I should point out that I'm not here dishing out orders because I've got it all right and you haven't. That's certainly not true. Ask my wife. (laughs) What I say to you applies very much to me as well. And as the sermon title says, we're in this together. So let's get practical. What particular feature of your life would you like others to copy? Do you pray? In the book of Ephesians, Paul encourages us to pray at all times, doesn't he? Do we do that? If you don't pray, incidentally, please do take... I've got some copies of the uh, tribe praying booklet. which I've left them at the back on the table, right at the back. Do take a copy. Help yourselves... And if it's not for you, you might have a friend 
who you think would find that useful. So do take, do take one or two. If you do pray, why do you pray? What do you pray? It's so easy, isn't it, when we pray, just to have a list of requests, a sort of shopping list. God, please do this, please do that. And I must confess, confess I'm, I'm guilty of that. But do we ever take time to open ourselves to God and listen to what he might want to say to us? Not what we say to him, what he might want to say to us. Do you read the Bible? Why? Why do you read the Bible? Is it just to find out what it says and to read about the activities of the early church and to read about Moses, to read about Abraham and that's rather nice? Do you read it to have a closer relationship with God? Or both? Or or do you hardly read the Bible at all? Do, Do we do our religious bit just on a Sunday morning in the God slot? Or do we have a living faith which goes right through the week, whether or not we're in the four walls of this church? Do we think that our vicar, Peter, is a bit of a magician and he can wave his magic wand and do the religious bit? And so all we have to do is say amen in the right places and in some strange way we get our religious fix for the week. Do we live out our faith wherever we are? or only at church and in house group. What effect do we have on those with whom we come into contact? Do they see something of God in us which they wish they had? Or does our behaviour turn them off? Do we have a special way of behaving at church on Sunday? But that all changes on Monday when we become another person. You wouldn't turn up to church in a bikini, especially if you were a man. (laughs) And a woman wouldn't turn up at a beach party wearing a wedding dress. But quite apart from our clothes, what are we thinking about? when we come to church do we come to church to be entertained by a good sermon which we'll then go away and forget all about do we come to church (coughs) do we come to church to meet our friends is it so we can have fellowship with others is it so we can keep up with what's going on Is it because it makes us feel good? Are we hoping church will help to bring us closer to God? To make God more real? But be honest, why do you go to church? Only you can answer that question. Do you have a real faith? 
if you're not sure, do ask our vicar Peter or Ursula or me or someone else that you know who has a living faith. Are you like the swan, a follower of Christ, living your Christian faith and enjoying it? (coughs) Are you like the frog who allows himself to be boiled to death, unaware of how you're being influenced by the world around you? Or are you like the candle burning in the dark, taking a stand for Jesus, in a world which is in spiritual darkness. Going back to what Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Is that a goal which you set yourself? If not, why not? I have, as usual put together a series of questions for you to work through, either in your private devotions or in house groups or both, and you should have been given a copy as you came in. If not, please pick up a copy as you leave. And it's my hope and prayer that they will help and encourage you to live lives which are pleasing to God and which are an incentive to others to come to know God in a personal way. One final thought. I'm a bit of a Disney freak, I'm afraid, and I I just love Walt Disney and all the Disney characters. In Disney's Jungle Book, there is a song, which I'm sure you all know, and I'm not going to sing it, no. Um, There's a song which a monkey sings to a human being, and it's called, I Want to Be Like You. And this is how it goes. Ooh, ooby-doo, I want... I want to be like you. I want to walk like you, talk like you too. Ooh, ooh. You'll see it's true. Someone like me can learn to be someone like you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone found a living faith in Jesus because they want to be like you? Amen.